Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. Hey, we're ready for, I guess, the first normal installment of 48 Days Online Radio this year. Right through the holidays here, we modified it a little bit. I know you all have been busy as well. You know, I got to see a bunch of you in Las Vegas, New Media Expo. I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a little bit here. But let me tell you what we're going to be talking about today. Our theme for the day is, who are you going to be this year? Now, I'll come back to that in a second. Here's some of the questions that we're going to be covering today. I want to bring you up to speed on some things that are happening, kind of how to shape the year as well. But I want to see how far we can go with the question. So here's some I hope that we can get to. Dan, I feel like a hopeless dreamer with no real sense of a singular passion, but with an angst for what could be. Dan, can I use Kickstarter to fund my business? Boy, that's a question I'm hearing about 10 times a week these days. We'll talk about that a little bit. Dan, what's that book on how to stop being a people pleaser? (laughs) I recommended a book that Joanne had read that had a really big impact on her. I need to put it up as a regular recommended book. It's not a business book, but obviously it touches something that uh, a lot of us deal with. So I need to put that up. I'll tell you what that is. Now, here's a quotation, and this comes from yours truly. This is just something I've been thinking about. I've, I've talked to a whole lot of people recently who have done a really good job of describing their big accomplishments they want to hit this year. And I'm thrilled about that. But here's my quotation. Review your goals for the new year, what you'd like to do and have, then go back and shape them based on who you'd like to become this year. It's pretty easy to um, get really excited about what we're going to do and we're going to do more. We're going to have more. We're going to make more money, go on more vacations. But It's not always just about bigger and better or having more. Make sure that you don't get sidetracked from being the person that you want to be. So my question is that. Shape your goals, but then go back and shape them. Look at them again based on the person you'd like to become this year. Describe the person you want to be. Make sure your goals complement that. Well, here, I want to start off with a couple success stories. This one comes from Brinley Farr. Now, Brinley and her husband, Chris, came to innovate in just in September. And she says this, we wanted to touch base and let you know how much we enjoyed our time at the sanctuary for innovate. In September, it was the highlight of our 2013. More than that, we were able to pay for the conference from work generated by connections we made with other attendees. I didn't want to send this email prematurely, but at this point it's official. The logos and marketing packages are complete and the work has totally offset the cost of the trip. I hope you received the Christmas and New Year's package we sent to you and hope that you and the grandkids enjoyed watching the sea monkeys grow. Yes, we did. Brindley sent this cutest little package, little glass jar in there with these strange little packets 
and you put water in the jar and then you add one of the little packets the next day after 24 hours you add the next one and these little sea monkeys start to grow i didn't know much about them but my granddaughters and i had a blast with those she says thanks for your continued inspiration and in our quest for work that is meaningful and profitable you know it's funny i just talked to brett and christina uh guru out in las vegas who showed me the business cards and logo that Brindley designed for them and saw a bunch of people in Las Vegas who have been to our events here. This was the new media expo conference for people who are interested in blogging and podcasting. And incidentally, I'll tell you what podcasting is the bomb podcasting is taken off. Norm Pattis was there and I don't know if you know that name, but he is the head of Westwood one, which is the biggest radio syndicator anywhere. I mean, they are major, major radio syndicator with NBC, CBS, NPR, and all those big players. He has started podcast one. So his other company with radios, Westwood one, this is podcast one. He says the trends are exactly the same as when we started seeing syndicated radio what we're seeing in podcasting. Hey, another quick note on that. I won't dwell on this, but I'm so excited. I can't stay in my chair right now because I also talked to Noah Shattuck, who is the founder of Stitcher. Now, many of you listen to my podcast here on Stitcher. That's what I use to listen to all my podcasts. Well, Noah has been looking at where this whole industry is going as well. And what we're doing in essence is creating on-demand radio. And that's what podcasting is. It's like radio, but instead of being held captive by what's being played at that particular moment, you can go right to what you want to hear. So you know what we're able to do on our mobile phones in listening to any kind of podcasting that we want to. Well, Noah, founder of Stitcher, has negotiated agreements with four of the major automobile manufacturers. There's really more that he's going to make an announcement very soon on apparently, but he wouldn't share that with us. But Ford, General Motors, Mercedes, Mini, a couple others. There are 52 models of the 2014 cars that will be Stitcher equipped. Now that means you can jump in your car and instead of just in finding whatever FM AM stations are in range, you can immediately go right to any kind of podcasting, any kind of music selections that you want right on your radio. I mean, it makes me so excited to know that somebody can buy a brand new Mercedes Gullwing, really exotic car, and pull up Dan Miller's podcast on the sound system. I mean, where this is going is too exciting for words well the, that's just the way we have to watch where new business opportunities are going watch trends but i think that's really exciting well let me jump off that high horse for a minute um i it just uh, been so excited about that and also some of the people that i saw at new media expo now this is one of those things no matter what it is you're doing if you're going to get better at what you're doing you need to invest in yourself in yourself that means workshops and seminars, conferences and things. I mean, that's the way you get better at what you're going to do. Now, certainly books and audio programs and all those things fall in that category, but please be willing to invest in yourself so you don't just stay at the same level. I mean, I've been going to conferences and seminars for years, and as I do, I hear about these new things. So I started podcasting five years ago. Now, when it's really taken off, I've got a major audience. 
mean, that's pretty cool to be in this position. But I saw a whole lot of my podcasting buddies, a lot of names that you'll recognize as well. Golly, I won't take time to go through all of them, but I talked to, of course, Cliff and Stephanie Ravenscraft. Cliff is the one that invited me to the conference to speak at New Media Expo. We did a panel together, which was really an awesome, a lot of fun. Uh, Mike Hyatt was on that platform as well, as as well as Ray, Steve, uh, Ray Edwards. So those are all people whose podcasts you probably recognize. And Pat Flynn, Smart Passive Income. Eric Fisher, Beyond the To-Do List, Daniel J. Lewis, The Audacity to Podcast, John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneur on Fire. These are all people I get to hang out with the, the last week here. Uh, David Hooper from here in Nashville, he does music business radio, but I'm look at, looking at all the new options that podcasting provides. Austin Nethley, who does Yo Pro Wealth, Young Professionals Wealth. Emily Chase Smith, she's an attorney. She does The Entrepreneur's Money Expert. I've been on her show. Jamie Tardy. You've heard me talk about her eventual millionaire. Uh, April Perry does the power of moms. Michael Stelzer was there. Social media marketing. Uh, Amy Porterfield. I mean, these are I mean people who are involved in this industry uh, showed up at this conference. And that's the kind of thing that you want to do. Find the conferences, events that relate to your area of expertise and then invest in getting better so you can be in the top 5%, not in that lagging 95% that never really get off the ground. Well, speaking of which, here's another success story. Uh, I, got, I got a great big card that you unfold and open up from Catalyst John. Now, Catalyst John, that's the name he gave himself. Catalyst meaning somebody who's going to change things, but it's John McKee who lives currently in Lakeland, Florida. John was a police officer and decided he wanted to change and and he and Allison came to our coaching with excellence event last year uh, they came to that he went back opened a little office right there in downtown Lakeland Florida started letting everybody know he was a coach and he is absolutely rocking it now because coaching is so transportable as a business they've decided they want to move from Lakeland to Manhattan and the card, he, he sent a picture of both side by side. I mean, they, their apartment looks all across the lake there in Lakeland now, but uh, they want to be in Manhattan where they're looking out from there on the water. But they've got clearly defined goals and he's right on track. And the way he's exploded his coaching business, he's certainly going to do that. He did write a note here and I want to just share his note. He said, I can't express how much of an impact those two days coaching with excellence has had on my life. I never thought about giving a testimonial because I'm new to coaching as a business. However, I can already see a change in how I see and think about things. My new mindset is seeing the world differently. It's affecting how I'm making choices. The best part of the live event is that you attend for business reasons, but the lessons learned will improve your job, your relationships, and how you live your life. If you're trying to decide if you need to sign up and can tell you without hesitation that the answer is yes, you do. It comes from John. Now that's John talking about Coaching with Excellence. Now, we happen to have our first one of those coming up January 16th and 17th. So that's pretty quick, January 16th and 17th. If you would love to position yourself, you may have expertise where people are already asking you about health and nutrition things or about parenting or marriage or career or life or spiritual direction. I mean, it can go on and on. The people that we have come here, a lot of people we have come here have already been in some kind of position. Like we have pastors come who say, oh, I've been doing exactly what you've been describing, you know, for the last 20 years and I just didn't know what to call it. 
Well, if that's true, we can help you position yourself as a coach and turn that into a real viable, profitable business. Check out the details, 48days.com. Just go to the live events. If you're quick, if you got a question, you can ask Ashley or me any question you want uh, about that. We'd be happy to share with you. We give you the tools to understand both the, the psychodynamics, the side of coaching itself, and also the business of coaching. Braun Light is another one who came to our coaching event last year. Uh, Braun recently spoke at a Mary Kay seminar. Now, it so happens he was coaching the lady, the director who put that event together. She gave him a glowing introduction, said the best thing she ever did was engage him as her business coach, personal and business coach. He spoke, and immediately after his speaking, he had 18 ladies signed up for his coaching. I mean, that's like, man, I can feel half a year right there. I mean, I was blown away. I love these stories. But these are people who have come to Coaching with Excellence. Again, if you have any interest in that, this is the way these people get started. Now, we have advanced programs for coaches that we can share with you as well, but most people start when they're just saying, I think I can do this. They come to the Coaching with Excellence. Join us here January 16th and 17th. We'd love to see you. Um, well, we have one more question about that. Then we'll do our little, uh, we are the champions because, uh, John from Atlanta, Georgia says, Dan, what books do you recommend to those in the process of establishing a coaching business? Thanks for all you do. Keep up the great work. Well, one of the books that we recommend that we provide, it's not really a, a common book, but it's for coaches. It's called the coaching starter kit. It is a phenomenal resource. It has checklists in there. It has forms you can use for your agreements. It has how to keep people on track with progress, how to set appointments. I mean, it's like an encyclopedia for the coaching business. We provide that. It's an expensive book. We provide that to everybody who comes to Coaching with Excellence. So we want you to have that. It's a real foundational book. There's certainly a lot of other books. Million Dollar Coaching by Alan Weiss, Become a Coach, uh, Christian Coaching, Gary Collins, Becoming a Coaching Leader, Daniel Harkavay. Uh, Spiritual Direction and the Cure of Souls, Gary Moon, Coaching for Christian Leaders, Linda Miller. I mean, we have books that we recommend, uh, again, that we show you a list and show you some of those books in the Coaching with Excellence program. Again, we'd love to talk to you more about that. Of course, we have a group on 48days.net. Those of you who are involved there, Coaching with Excellence, the group there, we've got, I think, 400 and some people there. So there's a lot of activity there and people helping each other as well. Well, hey, let's finish out with that little segment there. Hearing those exciting stories about what people are doing. Time to bring up a little queen here. Yeah, we're the champions. You can, you can join the ranks of champions by deciding what it is you want to do, making those specific plans for how that's going to look. Get out there and make this your year. All right, we're the champions. We could go on and on and on. We're going to move on from that into some questions that people have been asking here. This comes from Charles Wood in Lehigh, Utah. Thanks for coming on the Freelancers Show the other week. It was fun to talk. Looking forward to seeing you. Okay, I got this a few days ago. Looking forward to seeing you at New Media Expo. All right. I'm considering shipping out physical products like T-shirts for my podcast. I was wondering if you have a service you use for that sort of thing, or if you have a contractor, like so many other aspects of your business, that has a bunch of inventory on hand that packages and mails the stuff for you. 
Can you talk about how you structure it? Do they get paid per package, a flat fee? Now, Chuck, th- this is how we do it here at 48 Days. And you're talking about having a f- fulfillment house. So sure, if you order the latest CD from um, Taylor Swift, I mean, you know, she's probably not out in a garage putting out an envelope and sending it to you. She has a fulfillment house. I have tried that three different times, and I've never been happy with the process. And I'll tell you why. And there's a couple of reasons that we do it in-house at this point. And when I say we do it in-house, my daughter Ashley coordinates that. She handles everything. So we have people that come in and make up the packages ahead of time. We just had a Christmas special. Yeah, we had people come in and make those up, you know, tons and tons of those. So the packages are pre-made up. But then Ashley oversees the actual orders going out. The reason is because we personalize so much we get so many orders where they say you know could dan write a note to my son-in-law who's really been struggling and i do you know there's so much personalization like that and we often decide hey we're going to just throw in a bonus gift so we put in an, an extra christmas cd or a little plaque that you can put on your refrigerator or something it's hard to coordinate the kind of the, the, the kind of making new decisions that we do all the time. If you have a fulfillment house, they want to know exactly how it's going to be done and they do it the same way, you know, for the next year. We just don't do that around here. We, we have so many of those special requests. We do so many things that are add-ons with packages going out here. You know, we're connected with customers that are part of the 48 days family. It's not just another order going out the door, like from Amazon or something. So we do it in-house. Now, another thing, another reason we do, at one point, when I started out shipping 48 Days to the Work You Love in a three-ring binder, when back when that was the only product we had, we were doing it, of course, out of our house, like every entrepreneur starts. And I had my kids putting those things together at night, and we then moved it upstairs in the bonus room in our house. We had shelves and mailing machines, label machines and everything up there. And at one point I remember promising Joanne that when we got to a hundred orders a week, I'd move it out of the house. Well, we got to a hundred orders and passed. And then we had a, a young lady move into our house. She lived upstairs with her little stinking chihuahua dog. But anyway, that's another story, but she was a wonderful, wonderful gal. And she lived with us for a year and a half, lived upstairs. She took care of all the orders. She'd put all the packaging together. We'd haul them down the stairs, haul them off to the, off to the post office. Then I did take it out of the house and we had fulfillment houses for a couple years. But then when I bought the sanctuary, the prop, the barn on the backside of our new property here in Franklin, then we set up the barn to be our fulfillment house. That's what I thought we were going to use it for. Now, in the last couple of years, we've been using it for events and I built onto the back of the barn, a storage area to hold product. But our fulfillment has changed in the last three years dramatically. You know those things you can download, the electronic books you can get, the PDFs you can get? Well, all of our products are available like that, and we now are over 50% electronic delivery. So people want a book, they get the digital version, they get it instantly. They want to write to the bank, program that teaches how to turn your writing into income. They want it instantly. They get it instantly. 
It's in downloadable MP3s for the audio files and PDF for the text. So we're over 52% is now digital, which means that our physical delivery has actually, it hasn't gone up exponentially in the last couple of years. It's kind of plateaued because our electronic products has have escalated so much. So yeah, we do it in-house. Now, if you want to, if you want to, if you are going to send out t-shirts as part of your podcast, again, I would say don't complicate it by trying to do something with a fulfillment house at the early stages. Again, give yourself some kind of a parameter by which, you know, you're going to do it yourself until you're doing 50 a week or a hundred a week or something like that. Under that, it, it doesn't make sense to try to engage somebody else to do it. Paying them will eat you alive. Just do it yourself. So unless you really are, this is something that's going to be in big numbers, thousands a month, I just do it yourself every time, no matter what the product is. Douglas Bartholomew says, I came across your podcast on iTunes a few months back, been a loyal listener ever since. Enjoy your podcast. Okay, now what Doug is talking about, and he's got a lengthy letter here, he started a website to give away information about aquaponics. Now, he says, in case you don't know, aquaponics is the cross between aquaculture, raising fish, and hydroponics, growing plants without soil. So the idea then is to use the fish waste as fertilizer for the plants. So it's a really cool thing. And he's got a lot of pictures and stuff about how that works. So he put together this business on aquaponics. Now, what he did, because of listening to me, was to start a Kickstarter campaign. And he thought that would give him a kind of a test as to whether this is a real business idea. If he can raise money, then he'll have his money to get started. He'll get into that, share the knowledge, give away, I think, a lot of things free, but then have affiliate links and monetize his website and so on. Now, without going through the whole thing, I did flip through. Now, I got this a couple weeks ago before Christmas here. So the time frame for uh, Doug's Kickstarter campaign is already expired and he was not able to raise what he had set as a goal which isn't surprising because in kickstarter with a kickstarter this is not just people giving you money because they think you're a nice person so you can start your business with no capital of your own people contribute to kickstarter because of what they're going to get so it sounds really they have to describe it as a contribution that you're making you're not making an investment and you're not making a purchase, but really, you are making a purchase. Now, right before Christmas, I mean, I, I'm involved in several of them at any given time. People send me notes about things they're doing, and I think a lot of them are really cool. And I go ahead and you know put in a little money here and there. But one of them was foodie dice. That was one that I put some money in before Christmas. Foodie dice. It was these two gals, I think they were sisters, who got together and they made these dice, a little wooden die, where each one on the sides had a food item named. And then, so you may have one die that is meats, one that's vegetables, one that's salads, one that's dressings, seasonings, and so on. You put them in a little glass jar, and the glass jar was a recycled wine jar, a wine glass. So, I mean, wine bottle. So it's a cutoff wine bottle that's smoothed on the top with a cork stopper in it. You have these dice in there. You shake them up, roll them out on the counter, and that the things that are exposed in the top are your meal. I just thought it was a really cool idea. A lot of other people did too. They wanted to raise 
I don't know, they wanted to raise like $20,000 or something, ended up raising $156,000. But as being part of, as a result of being part of that project, I got a couple of those food sets, gave one to Ashley, my daughter. I mean, they're real creative in the kitchen and teaching their three little girls to be so as well. You know, they loved it, but I got those things. And now would I have invested if they just said, this is what we want to do. Please help us. Probably not. And that's kind of the gray area that a lot of people get into with Kickstarter. They think, well, I want to, you know, do something, even if it's a, maybe perhaps a worthwhile business in my neighborhood. And I want to put out a Kickstarter campaign and just have people help me. Those really don't work. People invest in those. They contribute again, the technical word for this. It's, this is a whole new wild, wild West in terms of raising money for uh, projects. Matter of fact, I, at New Media Expo in, in Vegas, uh, one of the sessions, they had Penn Gillette from Penn & Teller, the big guy, Penn Gillette. He came in and talked. And he is raising money through a Kickstarter campaign right now for a movie that he wants to do, or he's the villain. Well, he's obviously got a big name. He's a celebrity. People know him. And you get all kinds of things, though. You get to come to the premiere. You get a special cut. You get to have dinner with him or hang out with him around the pool I mean, or backstage and all those kind of real things that you get to do if you, in fact, put money in. So even there, it's not just giving money because you think it's a worthwhile thing to do. Not at all. It's because of what you're going to get. So if you frame it like that, then Kickstarter, Indiegogo, the other crowdsourcing kind of things can be a realistic way to raise some some money. We did a thing, most of you may recall, when we launched my last book, Wisdom Meets Passion, that I did with my son, Jared. Now, it was just a small, short-term, quickie kind of thing, but we put it out there and gave people different kind of packages. Those included, you know, getting the book and the Ubuntu medallion, uh, an audio a free field manual that went with it. And then you, certain people that we allowed like six people at a certain giving category to come to the book release party. I think it was like 480 bucks and boom, that sold out. There was a package for $880 where you could come and stay at the sanctuary one night and Joanne and I would take you to dinner. And we, I think we only allowed like two or three of those and those sold out. But so you have to be really creative about what you're going to give people to get them to participate in a Kickstarter campaign or Indiegogo, something like that. Now, went on a little longer about that, but, but believe me, it's not just one question. I see things every single week saying, Dan, can I get money like this? I hear about these Kickstarter campaigns. Can I just go get money that way? It's not easy. Believe me, it's not easy. It's very challenging and you have to have something that really stands out. The things that do best on there uh, tend to be more on the invention side. It, it certainly doesn't work for bricks and mortar traditional kind of businesses. It can work like for a book. Now, when we did ours, I mean, it, we didn't raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think we raised like $14,000 or something, but it was, it was a cool kind of, it was a fun thing to do. And then we used that money to do just an absolute killer book release party at the Legends Golf Club here in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, had amazing food, gift bags for everybody, celebrities there, sound set up, music, and the whole thing. We, we had a lot of fun with it. So we just invested it back in the book launch process. But again, it wasn't big, big bucks by any means. Okay. 
This comes from Sharon, who says, this is an interesting question. Would you please give an example of how your career shows up based on the type of life you would like to lead? Now, I love that. It's phrased a little bit differently, but essentially, it's what I tell people. You know, choose your work based on the life you want to live rather than the other way around. You know, our American culture teaches us get a job and then make your life work around that. Ouch. So we see people, you know, moving across country. They're moving to Seattle when all their families in Nashville, but they have an opportunity for a job there. So they uproot everybody, take the kids out of school, leave their church, all their friends, because the job dictates they're going to have a new life. That's a pretty tough way to approach it. So, yeah, your career ought to show up based on being real clear about the type, kind of life you want to live. Joanna and I have never, ever moved because of a job. Of course, you know, I guess that's not unexpected with me, but uh, we've always made decisions about where we're going to live first. I mean, we decided we wanted to leave Ohio. We both grew up in Ohio and said, geez, we want to get away from the, the cold weather and the gray days. So when I was going to go back to graduate school, I said, well, I'm only going to look at graduate schools then in states where we would consider living. So we looked at Kentucky, Tennessee, North and South Carolina. We thought that's kind of a neat band of states there. Seasonal changes, not too harsh either way. So we did. We moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky. I got my master's degree there. And then we decided, hey, it'd be cool to live in California. So when I finished my master's degree, we moved to California just on a whim. We thought, yeah, we don't want to grow old wishing we had lived in Southern California. So we moved. After four years there, we thought, oh, man, I, I would get up in the mornings. And what we would do, just real quickly, what we would do is work during the week, and there's amazing opportunity. I made more money than I'd ever dreamed of making up, up to that point. And then on the weekends, we'd take off somewhere. We'd go to Lake Arrowhead or Big Bear. We'd go to Palm Springs. We'd go somewhere. And I thought, well, this is nuts. Why don't we live somewhere where when we walk out the back door, we're where we want to be instead of having to leave our home every weekend to go someplace nice. Now we were, you know, we lived in someplace nice, but it was right in the middle of smog, congestion, and the, all the things that you get in Southern California. So we moved back to this part of the country because we thought we just made a list of the things we wanted, seasonal changes. We wanted to be near a major airport. We wanted to be uh, within a day's drive of family, but not necessarily in the same state. We had a whole list of characteristics, and that's why we live in Franklin, Tennessee. It had nothing to do with work. I had no idea what I was going to do. We've always made decisions based on where we want to live and the kind of life we want to live first, fully confident that we can do something to generate significant income. Okay, Ralph says, I was listening. Now, this is really interesting. Ralph, I appreciate your input on this. This is a really interesting twist. He says, Dan, I was listening to your podcast while on the way to work and had a thought. In your podcast, you mentioned the lawsuit against you recently for a photograph used in a blog that you wrote some time ago. Yeah, it was three years ago. I understand your frustration, but something occurred to me. Unless the photographer saw his work on the website, it must have taken a great deal of effort to have found the picture. I'm reminded of a story of an artist who was caught counterfeiting money. When he was caught, he was told that if he had spent as much time on his painting as he had on making counterfeit money, he probably would have been wealthy. My thought was this, maybe this attorney doesn't love the work he does, but doesn't know where to begin to find his true passion. Now think about that for a minute. I love this thought. 
and and I'm sure I made some rather unkind remarks about an attorney who would find a photograph in a blog that was done three years ago and then, you know, track me down to squeeze my head in a vice. Yeah, I don't consider that a very, a very high profession or a very high form of practicing law. But there are people that do that. That's what they do. You know, there are people who are patent trolls who just go around trying to find something that's been developed where unbeknown to the person or company developing it now, they find some obscure patent that was done 50 years ago that seems to be close to this, and they sue the person. I mean, Microsoft, Apple, companies like that pay millions of dollars in legal fees trying to defend themselves against people who say, oh, you stole my idea. Of course, we see it in publishing. We see it in music as well. So, yeah, I don't hold people who spend their time doing that in high regard at all. But what Ralph is saying, geez, maybe that guy's as miserable as I think he ought to be (laughs) in what he's doing. He says, if you're still still able to contact him, maybe you could send him a copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love or Wisdom Meets Passion. You never know how a simple act of kindness can change someone's life. Ralph, you know, that's a great reminder to me. I need to be the same person even if somebody's criticizing me or taking me to the cleaners as I am when somebody's complimenting me. So, but I think it's a very valid point. Uh, I think there are a lot of people in professions like that who are trying to find something obscure or mundane or boring or distasteful uh, just to validate the fact that they have the degree and spent the time getting it, even though they haven't been able to really find something that they enjoy. Talked to a really cool guy at New Media Expo in Vegas a couple of days ago. A great big guy. His name was Jeff. I'm not sure in his last name. I'll have to think about that a minute. But he's a doctor. He's a physician. And he's saying, man, I'm going to leave that. And I'm going to encourage other physicians to be open to the idea of exploring options to do things they really enjoy. Because so many just go to medical school because they think, well, gee, I'll get to wear nice clothes and make a nice income and people respect me. Well, those aren't very good reasons, long-term reasons for choosing a career. And a lot of them then having the MD behind their name discover, I don't really want to do this, but then feel trapped. But anyway, yeah, there's certainly lots of that, but a lot of opportunities to help people find things that they really, truly do love. Well, hey, I ought to tell you, here, just, just remind you, those of you who may be listening for the first time, if you want to ask a question, I'd love to review that. Just go to the 48days.com website, click on the podcast link, you'll see an opportunity there to submit your question. Or you can just shoot it straight in to askdan at 48days.com. Or you can go to that link, the podcast link, and just speak it. You've got speak pipe over there on the right hand side, just click that. You can just start talking any of those ways. Be delighted to have your questions come in. Um, the high point of my week to open that little mailbag and start reviewing questions that you all submit. So thank you for providing fodder for the podcast. I get a lot of affirmation from people who listen that they enjoy the format where rather than me just interviewing people, we're answering real life questions here and trying to unpack it so we can all move to higher levels of success. This comes from Mike, who says, Dan, I've heard you talk a couple of times about a book Joanne was reading that I think was about saying no to people or how to stop being a people pleaser or something like that. Now that I want to recommend it to someone, I can't remember the name, didn't see anything in your reading list that look right. Can you remind me of the title? 
Yes, I can. Now, Joanna's my wife. And a couple years ago, she read a book. And while she was reading it, she would sit in her favorite chair in our living room with tears running down her face. And because she recognized herself so much in what she was reading. The book is titled, When Pleasing Others is Hurting You by Dr. David Hawkins. It had a tremendous impact on Joanne. Joanne is one of those personalities who, for those of you who have been to live events here, you know, Joanne loves to have people here. She loves on everybody. She's everybody that comes here is part of her family. Once they've been here, she's just that kind of person. She loves everybody. Well, if you overuse those amazing skills It can be put you in a position where it's difficult to say no, where your own needs aren't being met in a healthy kind of way, and you're being drained dry day after day after day. And Joanne recognized that she was allowing that to happen. So that was the book, When Pleasing Others is Hurting You. Dr. David Hawkins, I need to put that on my reading list because we get so many questions about it. I had no idea when I mentioned it casually initially that so many people would identify with the same issue, but we have given out, I have no idea how many copies we've given out and it really does seem to come up again and again. So that's the book. I'll put it up there. Josh from West Virginia says, then I just started reading 48 days and finished chapter two in the common career question section The question is asked, how can I keep my job from controlling my life? In that, you say that a 50, 60 hour work week will make you miss success in other areas of your life. My wife is currently in a position where she's required to work 50 hours and often that turns into more. Is it possible to deposit into the other areas of her life while being required to work such hours? Or is it time to consider a career change? If she stayed at her current job, how should she approach her boss about decreasing her hours when he says he will decrease her pay? All right, a couple things here. Now, if you listened to this podcast last week, you know that I shared my schedule, how I organize my time. My work week is based on 50 hours a week. Now, that may sound like I'm right on the edge of what I recommend to don't do, but it also has to do with seasons of life. At this point, our children are grown, have families of their own. So I don't have uh, the ball games and all those kind of things, you know, like we used to. Boy, I used to leave with Kevin, our oldest son, when he was racing bicycle motocross. We would often leave like Thursday afternoon and come back Sunday night late because we were going to bicycle motocross races all over the country. Well, I don't do that anymore. And it's pretty clear. I hope that I do enjoy my work. So yeah, my normal work week is based on 50 hours. So if you love what you're doing, 50 hours goes by pretty quickly. And if you love what you're doing, you're making deposits of success in other areas of your life, even while you're working. We've had a lot of discussions about that around here. I mean, my kids never could, could figure out if I was working or playing because it's so integrated. I mean, I was all, I've always done things that I really enjoyed doing, but even now, I mean, if I'm sitting on a Saturday morning, I'm reading, I've got here in my desk, the latest issue of success magazine. If I'm reading that on a Saturday morning, am I working or playing? Am I still in the work mode or am I taking time off and just relaxing? Well, that's what I enjoy reading. I love those inspirational stories about people who are being successful. So it's hard to tell. So 
things that I do in a week that relate to my work go way beyond 50 hours. That's one of the keys here. But now when you're doing something that you don't particularly enjoy, which seems to be the implication in your question here, Josh, if that's true, then 50 hours is a really long time. But when you talk about if she wanted to decrease it at all, then her pay is going to decrease. It brings up another really red flag. Anytime you're being paid for your time, you run into this inevitable challenge. If you're being paid for time rather than the results that you produce, then it's inevitable that you think, well, if I just squeeze in a couple more hours, I'll make a little more money. If I have to take the afternoon off for a dentist appointment, I don't make as much money. It really sets you up for that kind of challenge. And I encourage people, even in, I mean, the people that we have that do lots and lots of things around 48 days, if it's a design work or web work or technology work, I mean, it's never based on time. It's based on completing a project always. So if you can move your work into that kind of a category, you may be able to adequately do the work required in 35 hours. But with what you describe here, I really do suspect it's probably time to look at a change because the implication seems pretty clear that even 40 hours of what she's currently doing is not going to be real pleasant. If that's true, yeah, by all means, look at something else, but then look at ways where you could do what you need to do. I mean, I, I don't watch the clock. I mean, I don't just, I don't clock in and clock out. I mean, it'd probably be embarrassing if I did to look at how many hours I actually work. But then see, the other thing is true too. Nobody's looking over my shoulder. I work on major projects. And then when we want to take off for a few days or a few weeks, we do that as well. So it's a very fluid kind of work schedule because I'm, I'm compensated based on projects that I complete, not time. Nobody pays me for my time. It's, it's always based on projects if you can move your work to that kind of categorization, it frees you up time-wise and hopefully will be connected with something where you feel extremely fulfilled in doing it as well. A couple more here. Troy says, good morning, Dan. I can't tell you how much I appreciate everything you do. I'm moving to Nashville with my wife and four kids this spring. I own a real estate appraisal company and decided to move the business and family to Tennessee for more opportunities than in my current area, Springfield, Missouri. For additional income, I used to buy cars at the auction, then resell at the auction under my brother's wholesale dealer license. I was hoping to do the same in Tennessee, only using my own wholesale dealer license. My research is showing that Tennessee does not offer a wholesale dealer's license. Do you know if this is accurate? I wasn't sure if you sell your cars as a dealer or a private party. Thanks for your response. Well, <laughs> that is one of the areas that I, I'm pretty familiar with. Yeah, you're exactly right. You, you have to have a retail license to do any selling at all. Now, I don't do that because I don't sell enough. I mean, I can you know, put a couple in my front yard every once in a while or whatever or give them away with an open title. I mean, I, I can do what I enjoy doing without being having a dealer license, and I do not. I've thought about it, but I, I'm not going to invest enough time in that to justify it. But if you want to do what you're talking about, yes, you have to have a dealer license. And that requires... As you probably know, you know, you have to have an office, you have to have seven inch letters on your sign. You have to have like 2000 square feet of either paved or graveled area to park cars. So there are some basic requirements, not 
insurmountable by any means. And the other thing would be to come and work with an established dealer here. I mean, I've got dealers who are, you know, very willing to let me go to auctions with them to run their dealer plates or whatever. So if you have a relationship with somebody, you can work under their license to get you started anyway. Okay. Here is, let me just squeeze in one more. You know what I'm not going to do? I'm going to save that. I'm going to say I've got one that really goes pretty much into depth here. And I apologize because it's the one that says, um, I feel like a hopeless dreamer with no real sense of a singular passion, but an angst for what could be. It's going to require more than a couple minutes. And I want to save that. I'll save that one for next week. But let me just go back and just recap just real quickly. uh, Some of the things that we've talked about here. Some of that being how to invest in yourself. Being here right at the beginning of the year, you ought to have already outlined a budget for what you're going to do to invest in yourself. Now, it doesn't matter if you have a job and you're going to stay there for the next 20 years. I still recommend that you're spending $50 a month at least just on inspirational things, books to keep you sharp, keep you. Really, that's way too low. If you have any kind of business idea, that you are developing, even if you're working full-time at a job, I recommend that you budget at least $250 a month for your personal development. You will be amazed at how that comes back to you. When, when people come here, now you've already heard me read a couple examples. When people come here, I don't expect that to be an expense for them. An expense being like if you buy a big screen TV or if you go to Disneyland. I mean, that's an expense. I expect 100% of the time for it to be an investment where they come here and very, very quickly go back and recapture that. Let's just take as an example, Coaching with Excellence, January 16th and 17th. It's $1,000. All right, so people pay $1,000. They come here, they have to travel, stay in a hotel. Now, we feed, feed you well take care of everything once you're here, give you lots of materials to leave with to get you started. But let's say that it's $2,000. Let's say it's $2,000 total. Is it unreasonable to expect that you're going to recapture that very quickly? My goodness. I mean, a, a very common coaching package for somebody. Let's say that you have a, a 90 day package. You're going to work with somebody and it's $2,500. Boom. You need one person. Now, let's say that you have a $500 package, very inexpensive, just kind of an exploratory coaching package to help people identify where they are and where they want to go or to help um, you know, people decide on career choices. If you want to be a career coach, let's say you have a $500 package. You would need four of those, four of those. I mean, I would hope you would get those in the first week once you announced that you're a coach. I mean, so this is not something where starting a business, you're going to open a hardware store or a bowling alley, and we hope that over the next 10 years you recapture your income. No, when you're working in this kind of a space, like coach, as a coach, we would expect you in the first 30 days to recapture your investment. But then I would, but see, I would never want you to stop there. I want you to continue investing in yourself. I want you to go to other conferences. I mean, I saw a whole bunch of people at New Media Expo That's not my conference, but I saw people who have been here and people that I've seen at Kent Julian's Speak It Forward conference in Atlanta. I think, oh my gosh, I know where these people are going to end up because they're investing in themselves 
And every time they do, they're going to open the door for new levels of success. And I see it happen again and again and again. Well, I hope you've made the plans. Charter the course for what you're going to do this year. We're going to be sharing a whole lot of new ideas as we progress through even the first part of the year here with things you can do to unlock your own success. So enjoy the process. All right, thanks for being part of this amazing connection. You know, going to this conference reminded me how how we're so connected all around the world. We can stay connected. What an amazing opportunity. And I encourage you as you continue to do yourself and to encourage others to find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable.